0: Jacob, I have a question for you. Yes. I want to know, how do you identify or know exactly what to use when you're looking for mentor text for your
1: students? Uh, I I don't think I ever know exactly what to use. Well, then I retract the question.
0: (laughs) You don't know the answer.
1: (laughs) I'm kidding. No, I, I, I think my entire goal is... Um, you know, so early in the year, it, it changes over time, right? Early in the year, my goal is to engage students into the workshop, right? Because we inherit kids that don't read. We inherit kids that don't like the class. We inherit kids who only like specific things. And then we also inherit kids who genuinely like reading and English and everything else. So, you know, you get... A big group, and what I need them to do is to get bought in early in the year. And part of that is showing them just something that they weren't expecting in English class, right? That something that they that might just shock them into. I've talked about this on the show before, right? My whole like kind of quote unquote shock value. I'm not, that doesn't mean I'm showing them like edgy text that shouldn't be in middle school or whatever. But I'm showing them something that is just unexpected, at least to what I think is unexpected. So, uh, that, that's kind of like my goal at the beginning, but as like, once the year is like rolling, my answer becomes whatever we need based on the conferences we are having, um, also guided by curriculum too. So we have our scope and sequence and our standards here in Texas generally allows us for a lot of flexibility in how we merge genres and how we, uh, how we tackle certain things. So for instance, we really don't have fiction units anymore. We have things that are focused on fiction. Like for instance, we have setting or we have standards that talk about setting, but setting can be in poetry, setting can be in song, setting can be in nonfiction. And that's kind of how I roll. But when we're, so it depends on that aspect, but it also depends on the conversations I'm having with kids. So if I Like an easy one that I used to do in sixth grade. I didn't really need it that much in seventh grade, but in sixth grade, I remember crafting a whole mini lesson around dialogue because a lot of my kids were trying to use it and they were using it badly. So I was like, sweet, let's go find a great dialogue excerpt from a piece that's relevant to them. We used it, boom, it fixed like 90% of the dialogue issues they were having in writing and it allowed them to read dialogue as a writer and a reader a little bit more deeply. Um, so that became that mini lesson for that day. So that that's essentially how I do it. I get my pieces from a variety of sources. A lot of times I find them on the internet. Sometimes I have them buried away somewhere. But most of the time, I go to my bookshelf and I open a book and I find what I need. I do a quick photocopy or sometimes I don't want to do that and I'll just Google the scene or the passage or whatever because a lot of the times you can find them on the internet and I'll just make a little excerpt that way and then when we're done reading I'm like hey if you like this I have it right here and then it's a great book talk it kind of fits into everything so I don't know in a nutshell that is how I find my model text.
0: All right well with that welcome to Craft and Draft I'm Pam Ochoa that's Jacob Chastain and we today are going to talk about beginning the school year. Had to remember. That's where we're going.
1: Yeah, we well, talk and about so, a lot of topics, so it's kind of hard sometimes to go. No, wait, which one are we doing? And you know, we the way we go on craft and draft is sometimes we say we're going to talk about something, then we talk about something else. But the yeah. you know, this was inspired by a listener, and oh, right. here's the here's the thing. My goal this week, okay, is because all of these questions are coming through like my DMs. Almost sometimes they come through. Uh, like act- the actual like, Craft and Draft Facebook page, where a lot of people don't want to use the Facebook page, blah, 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 blah. So we, uh, we're we going to add, by the time this episode posts, okay, I'm putting my money on it, so if I don't right. do it, you can beat me up. But uh, we're going to add a a question bucket or something onto the oh, Craft and Draft website great. where people can just submit their questions. It could be anonymous if people don't want to add their names to it, or they can add their names, maybe give them a chance to put their uh, – Twitter profile, or Instagram, or whatever. That way, they could they could even get some advertisement out of it if they want. If they want to put their stuff, so people can involve it. Maybe we can have a community of people that follow each other that also listen to Craft and Draft. That'd be kind of cool, right? Hi, that would be great. But a, a place where people can submit stuff rather than just going to me directly, and uh, that'll be nice. But this one was submitted by our listener Leah, who she had sent one to me. So I'm going to read this. I had asked her in advance if we could. Address this question. You know how we, we love okay. doing that because it gives us something to talk about mm-hmm. on the show. So don't ever feel like you're bothering right. us with questions. But um,
0: all right. well, hello, Leah.
1: So here we go. Yes. Leah's a, a longtime listener of Treatment Teacher and Craft and Draft. But she said, all right. Uh, she goes, I saw in your story where you asked what I'd like to hear about, and she came up with some ideas for craft and draft. She said, I really want to plan this summer in a way that I can have a little toolbox ready for the beginning of the year. She goes, I am concerned with one, what do you do at the start of the year other than have the students list their writing territories? I know you like to start off with my name from House of Mango Street, but I use that with the kids this year, and I'm looping up with them. Are." there are other poems you use, what types of things do you start with with poetry, what was the name of the poetry website you go to a lot, and et cetera, et cetera. She does ask some more in here, but we're going to save that for part two of answering this. So part one is really addressing this idea of the starting of workshop. And for those people who don't know, we're done. Our school year finished... Uh, this last week, yes, we have our scores back and it, things looked well for really both of our campuses and especially both of our classes. So we're happy to report all of that. Maybe we'll have an episode where we do a dive in on the learning that occurred during COVID of all years. But um, this, this idea of starting, it was funny. I was reading it and she was like, I know you started with House of Mango Street. 100% forgot I did that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you forgot you did that? <laughs> I was I was I, I So read, Jacob maybe all these questions <laughs> that I ask are really irrelevant
1: we don't know what you're gonna do <laughs> that's okay so a uh, hundred all you need in terms of people understanding who I am as an educator the, I just I, I didn't even think about that like I read that and I was like did I do that and I was like oh yeah I guess I did do that you know and it was it was just one of those moments where it, I don't know. We do like I did ninety four mini lessons this year, and I know the number because each mini lesson is in the craft book. And I thought I was going to hit a hundred, but I just couldn't do it. I was like, I'm not going to have fluff lessons just to hit a hundred. But ninety four mini lessons, so I I kind of forgot about that. But I, I like this idea, right? Because you and I. We're going to be percolating these ideas all year cuz for people who didn't listen to the another episode where we announced that you're you're coming to our campus over here, the Ram campus, the Purple That's campus. That's right.
0: But you know when I was in college, I was a Ram.
1: That's right. So
0: I'm coming back home to being a ram. So
1: we're going to be the purple's uh, my
0: favorite color.
1: So hey, you know. I'm at home. But we're gonna, you we know, we're gonna be a team, uh, both in craft and draft and actually a team teaching the same grade level. We're going to be right. united once again with. Um, Our our partner, who's my current partner, who's awesome, Taylor Burton, she is a rock star. And we're going to Abydos Training, where you're going to be one of the presenters. We're going to be sitting there. So we're going to have this this planning process. Is probably going to be a lot of these summer episodes, I believe. But it's a good place to start today, I think.
0: I think so. Are you going to start the way you forgot? (laughs)
1: No, I probably won't. I I probably won't do uh, House on Mango Street. I I like that. I like that start. And after I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, that that is a cool lesson, and that's that's stuff I'm interested in. But I, I feel like this. I don't know. You know, you and I both work thematically, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I do, and I, I try when, to. When I'm in a theme, uh, that's when I'm really rolling. That's when I feel like the workshop is cooking. It's 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 really going forward. Sometimes I'm outside of a theme and I'm just kind of bouncing around until we latch onto one, but you know, identity was huge at the beginning of this year because it was something that it I don't know, it was it was it was right off it was uh, the our current time. I feel like a lot of kids were just thinking about identity and what identity means for them because we took House on Mango Street and we also went into um, Like we went all the way into like Plato's cave and we, I mean, we analyzed.
0: Well, that's right. I remember that conversation.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we went really deep on some of that and that those lessons were really like those showed up in my students writing and their thoughts like kind of as the year was going but i feel like going into this year you know covid you know where we are at least like it's is done like you know what I mean like the masks mm-hmm. are gone like think like things are about as normal as they can be right now right um right va- vaccines are out all that good stuff our campus, our, our school, uh, you know, they not our school. Our district has, you know, they've already changed their COVID measures online. They just announced it's not going to be a thing. So we're literally kind of back to square one and we have a new building. So, like, I feel like that energy is going to affect some of the themes that we bring in, because there's, I feel like there's going to be an excitement. More kids are going to be back in the building. It's going to be a bigger building. It's a better building. I'm not looping up this year, so I'm going to have new students. Like all of that, that's what's percolating in my brain. So I don't have exact answers for it, but that's in terms of the way I think about these opening lessons, that's what I'm trying to capture is what does this era feel like for my students and how am I going to get them engaged from day one? on that aspect, at least in the content side. How do you think about, uh, your opening stuff? You've already been planning cause you're super excited about things, but before without <laughs> oh. mentioning details, how, what do you, how do you process this stuff?
0: How, how do I process it? Well, first of all, I, I really believe that what you want the kids to do all year long, you need to do it on the first day. So I want the kids to read and I want the kids to write. So I, no matter what, even if my district or my campus, and I don't know what y'all are going to do, but, you know, I've had it where they say you have to do all the rules and they even give you a script sometimes, but I still figure out a way to add reading and writing, thinking, and, and even sharing on that first day. And I don't make the students share what they've written or share what they've read, but I, I ask them to maybe share their favorite line, like Penny Kittle has suggested. Or, um, you know, if anybody, I, ha, I have an open invitation. Does anybody want to share their writing? And then you get this really big, quiet, moment which there's nothing more powerful than the silent moment in the classroom the wait time is very powerful so I try to use that to my advantage but sometimes you're just sitting there and they're just staring at you so then I go well I wrote because I also want to make sure that I model on that first day so I'm I find something to read and I'm also writing so when I invite them to write I've also written I said well do y'all mind if I share mine and maybe one of y'all might share after I've shared mine. And so I'll share a little bit of my writing. And then I go, okay, would anybody else like to share? And they go, usually a hand or two will go up. And then, boom, we've written, we've read, and we've shared. And we've gone over a few of the expectations. But what I've done is I've actually set those expectations for workshop right off the bat. Because I I made sure that we read, we wrote, and we shared. Because that's... Those are at least three of the most important components.
1: Well, and you and I, I think that was one of our first bonding conversations we had as colleagues. You know, we were both coaches. Mm -hmm. It was that idea of because we, when I kind of approached uh, our principal for a class, you know, that was when you and I really started talking about. Okay, so how do you how do you go about setting up class? How you set up workshop? And we were just diving into those, and we realized early on that you and I shared that similar thought process of. What kids, kids need to know what this class is about from day one. And you don't do that by preaching. You don't do it by doing a PowerPoint and all of this other stuff. And uh, Mm -hmm. you do it by getting workshop going and the things that you want your workshop to be like, and it doesn't have to be huge, right? I think that's where this, uh, this can get overwhelming for someone is they, they might go, Oh my God, reading Well, they don't have books and writing and journals. It doesn't have to be huge, right? Just having the components there of this is reading time. This is writing time. And then whatever else you want in there, right? Even if you wanted to have a little bit of some discussion about stuff, that could be the mini lesson, right? Like I started, Mm -hmm. uh, Last year, day one, was we did a mini lesson, but I was doing what the school wanted me to do in the mini lesson, right? And then we transitioned into the read time, which was something that I handed them because they might not have had books yet. And then we transitioned into writing time. But having those components there, um, it, it sets the stage, but it also... It immediately shows students the the structure. And the quicker you get that going, the quicker you can move past that and into the awesome stuff of workshop, right?
0: Right. And then what I do is through that week, you know, for those expectations, that'll be a portion of what I do. I might conclude that way or I might begin that way, or I might even put it in the middle. I don't really know. It just depends on the what I've Planned at that particular time, but going over the rules and things like that, I typically don't go over that on the first day. I usually go over that as we go through the week. Oh, by the way, I expect you to do these things. Be polite, be, you know, and always, you know, so I might have them do that, and then we'll do a little bit of reading. There's a, I also like to I usually start, as you know, as you've already talked to me more than once about words, but I always like to start with kind of a trigger word. So I usually, for the last three times I've thought of the last, well, two years past, and then this next year, I've already thought of my trigger word, if that's okay with the my campus I'm going to. I'll have to talk to them about that. But uh, as of right now, if it was all by myself and nobody was in there with me at all, um, I already picked out my my trigger word. But two years ago, it was clouds. And then I played a song and then gave them the lyrics. Uh, it was a, and anyway, and so I got some good writing off of that uh, clouds. And then I've done relish. We've talked about that. I just put the word relish up there. Uh, I think last year I started out with groovy. I just put groovy. <laughs> don't know why, but I was feeling groovy that day. And then I played the 50, I like to play music or the old music that they don't ever listen to like Simon and Garfunkel. And I played the 57th Street Bridge where, you know, feeling groovy. And so we got some writing from that, you know, where they felt groovy. But I've got my word already picked out next year if it's okay with my department chair.
1: So well, I don't know. We don't, we, don't dis- we don't make decisions like that. You know what I mean? You, you decide where you want to go. You know what I mean? You oh, are okay, free okay. spirit. Well,
0: I don't know if I should share it. Should I share it?
1: Yeah, Go ahead. Leah might need this word.
0: The word is dream. Mm. So my mini lesson is going to be about what are dreams. We're going to define it. But I have a picture book. I have two picture books I'm going to use. So the first picture book is, and I use a lot of picture books, by the way, and I use them with my high school kids. I use them. I've used them with my adults when I teach adults, so I do a lot of picture books to prompt writing, and that's one way I get my model my read alouds. And I I try to pick books that are, you know, that I think will interest the students and be relative. But the one I'm going to pick out this time, the first one is called Dream Jar. So the writing I'm going to hand out pieces of paper because they probably won't have their journals at that. You know, we, we might be setting those up. So on that first day, I don't know if we'll have all that ready. So what they'll do, even if they do have it ready, they're going to draw a jar. But the dream jar is about a little girl from Russia who is immigrated to the United States. And I think at our school, we'll have a lot of immigrants, typically. and um, And so I think it'll fit that way. But the little girl wants to help with the family's dream. And she's too little to help. And all they make her do is go to school. Can you imagine? She's the only one that gets to go to school. Even her older brother, he gets to help with the dream because he gets to work. He quit school to go to work, which is typically what they did. Because this is the time where they would, your icebox was a true icebox, and they would bring you a piece of ice, you know, to fit in that box for your food. So this was in the older, uh, you know historical time period but anyway so what what happens is these other immigrants that live in the the housing projects where they live uh can't speak english and they're getting these letters from their you know that and she needs to be able to translate and so then what happens is her neighbors start paying her to teach them how to read And so they pay her. So now she can add to the dream jar. So the idea is the kids then will write about their dreams. So they'll draw their own dream jar, and they'll write about their dreams. And then we'll follow that up with another book called Dreams, and it really defines dreams, and it talks about the people in our world who have made a difference, who it all started with a dream, and it has quotes. So in the end, it's going to be, I'm going to ask them to look back over their reading and ask them to share if they want what their dream was.
1: So, and to go back to kind of uh, the, the, the piece of the draft book that Leah referenced in her question, right? This whole idea of, you know, setting up the territories and stuff. This is what you would be doing in that process, right? Because just having this conversation about dreams, uh, kids can take that in a variety of ways. There's very direct ways. And I, I have a hunch, you know, these, the honors kids that we are getting from sixth grade this next year are, mm-hmm. they're like freaks of nature. I mean, they're like, they're so brilliant. Like it's, it's wild. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and so they're going to be really fun to interact with in a lot of ways with something like this, because you know dreams like that it's a it's a really interesting word it's it's it has a lot of depth but it can also mean different things to different people you know there there might be a kid that takes this idea of dreams and maybe it's it's a more haunting look, you know, it's maybe right. it's a maybe they're haunted by certain dreams or, or tortured by certain dreams because they might be uh, just these these visions of the past or the future. And like there's there's like, you know, what I'm saying there's multiple ways that. Oh, I know can that's what... these things.
0: Yeah, and that's one reason why I like that that word, uh, is because of all the different things that somebody could connect to it. Uh, that's how clouds turned out to be. I mean, clouds, they're storming clouds. There's all different kinds of clouds. Sometimes you look at the clouds. Sometimes you're afraid of the cloud. And so um, one of the kids, he wrote a very powerful poem uh, off of that first day. And uh, anyway, and that poem dealt with the fact that the cloud reminded him of a day when he and his grandfather were walking and his grandfather looked up the cloud that reminded him of something in the boy. It just stuck with that boy, and now his grandpa's gone, but the cloud that he sees often reminds him of his grandpa, and he takes comfort in the cloud. So, I mean, that was the premise of that, his thing. Relish has so many different, you can relish, you can eat relish, but then you can enjoy life with relish. So, it's just, It's really interesting. So, dreams can be a verb, used as a verb, and used as a noun. So, I can also hit this in that mini lesson. We'll talk about what dream is and how it's used. And then the whole idea is how did you use it? How did you use dream? Did you, was it haunting or is it something that's going to, you'll be, you'll grow into? And is it something that you want to see for yourself in the future? So that's where I want to kind of see if I can get the kids to start thinking that way.
1: Yeah, and that's I think I think that is the the essence of bringing this stuff together, right? It's the Mm -hmm. it's 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 getting kids hooked to the content, Um, you know, and on our content. Our content is you know reading and writing, but it's not necessarily the pieces the pieces and what we bring into the classroom are almost secondary because it's trying to serve them as independent readers and writers right that's kind of how we that that's how we view the workshop and that's i mean that's what workshop is right it's building independent workers independent learners now we bring i always look at it as like we're bringing in catalysts for that what can i get to get them thinking? What can I drive them? How do I drive them into the reading more deeply? How do I drive them into the writing more deeply? I I feel like this is such a powerful way to think about this stuff because when you approach a classroom as you will write every day and you will read every day and it's 15 minutes and you start with all these rules, what you're training them to think about reading and writing is that it's just another compliance thing for school. And I'm gonna throw some shade at some other subjects. Unlike other subjects, we can really get kids into reading and writing through different means. We can, right? We can, uh, we can be very stealthy in our approach to getting kids into compliance because it's more about them embracing the written word in all of its forms and realizing they have the power to interact in such a way but we get to do it because we can meet them where they are. You know, we we there's nothing holding us down to forcing them into these things. And I feel like that's where workshop breaks down. The moment workshop becomes compliance, right? That's when it be it loses its power. So it's I feel like these early steps right? It can't be, okay, now we're going to create territories. And I, if you don't have five things in your territories, you're going to get a zero today, right? And you make yeah. it a grade and you make it a thing. Now you can make it an encouraging thing. Let's see how many things we, like once you introduce your territories, how many things can we get by Friday? Let's just think, has some things pop into your head? And then you would model this as a teacher, right? Oh, that's real. I'm going to mm-hmm. add that to my territories. That's I would right. do that in my Yeah, I do it with them. Yeah. And so it becomes you get the same effect. If your goal in your head is I need kids, I want kids to have five things in their territories, you don't tell them that. You set a goal to get ideas in the territories and then you just encourage them over and over again and you'll get a lot of kids that get there, some kids won't, but then you start learning your riders. Who are the kids that generate ideas quickly? Who are the kids that don't have as many ideas, but they have really in-depth ideas. And who are the kids who are resistant because they're afraid of their ideas, right? Those are the kids who have been conditioned by school to say, no, you're not allowed to color outside of the lines, and you're not allowed to think any different than us. And wow. those are the ones I want to latch on quickly, because if I can get them, then they're going to roll with everyone else. And that that's just, I don't know, these beginning moments, they're so critical. And I feel like the the... There's, there's not very don't do's in workshop, I feel like, but I feel like the big don't is don't make everything a compliance issue and a grade issue. And we've seen this as coaches. We've seen it talking to people, everything, you know, th- this is why the number one question is, so how do you get grades? And they, they just want to make everything a grade. And it's just like, ease the grade anxiety just a little bit, just a little. And, and a I little feel bit, like yeah. people will feel a little bit better. Their kids will be bought in more
0: well and another thing is you know you are you are limited in your time so you want to make sure that you, the kids don't feel like you're limited in your time so this some people work really well when they they time everything i think i don't i mean i'm more of a okay let's move to the next thing so i'm more of a fluid transitioner if you will i if if something's going to take that typically takes five minutes for some weird reason. We get hung up, or everybody all of a sudden wants to share. Well, the more people you have in your room and the more they want to share, that's already going to throw you off. Or so I want, if they want to share, I let them share. So sometimes that might throw me off. And then so I'm busy thinking, okay, so where can I shave off some time? What can I do? Typically, the time that I shave off is the time that I want to talk. And then I let them go back to work, typically. Sometimes sometimes it don't work like that. But um, but, but I've seen it where people are so, um, okay, this five minutes. All right, I don't care. I don't care if you want to share, but we got to move on. We got something else to do. And so they're so tied to the agenda that I think sometimes that causes anxiety. So, I mean, I'm not saying not to time things. I'm saying don't make the time so strict that you can't have some you know, some some time to to give to the kids to make them. They don't need to feel the res, the restriction of the time. Uh, I mean, if you run out of time, don't let them know it. You know what I mean? Just figure out a way to conclude, so that the next day feels natural, and you adjust then. So I, I think that's another thing to me as a killer.
1: Yeah, you know, and I see. I used to time a lot. Like I used to. I used to put on my. And so, okay, so we don't have, like, our school's old, right? This is why we're getting a new one. So we are, like, projectors are in, like, dumb spots. They, they could only put them in specific spots of the room right, because of, like, where the drops were and everything. Yeah, so it's just like, oh, my God. They were always in the wrong spot. I always moved mine to point at my whiteboard because my whiteboard is usually like, halfway across the room. So I could I could project everything, like, super big. I could write on the board and everything. That's kind of how I used it. Uh And in this process of, I forgot where I was going. (laughs) Well, we understand
0: about the projector, but I think you're talking about time.
1: Yes. Okay. There we go. Good Lord. Thank you. So we, I I would project uh, the time, right? Huge. 15 minutes of reading. Here we go. Boop. And so this timer is just counting down the whole time. And what happens? Kids are looking at the time. That's right. The, the kids that are reading avoiders are going to, all right, sweet. I can waste two minutes finding a book. Okay. Got that. Now I'm going to close the book two minutes early. Now you're down to, you know, 10 minutes of reading. And in that 10 minutes, it takes them at least three minutes to get started because it takes a while for it to get into the reading zone, as Nancy Atwell calls it. So not not you to have, mention
0: they have to go to the restroom because they're still avoiding.
1: Yeah, exactly. So and by then you're literally, it's, it's, I, putting up a timer for this stuff, I feel like what you're enabling is their procrastination on these things, because here's the thing, some days when we're reading... Um, we do 25, 30 minutes on on some longer days. Sometimes it is 15 and a little bit less. And I, I kind of play it by ear based on the needs of the class, where we're at, how well are they getting too antsy. All, all those things play into that. But once I took the timer away, I found that even my most resistant readers started reading faster because there was they really didn't have any connection to how long we were reading. It, it took that piece away. Now I'm sure in their head or like on their phone or on their Chromebook, whatever, they're looking at the time and doing that. But I mean, we're, we're teaching middle schoolers. They're, they're they're crafty, but like, they're like, fine, I'm just going to read. And then they get into it and life's good. But those, I feel like that timer obsession is, I think the idea is good. If I think a better thing, if teachers need one or want one, just have them use it, right? Just make it something that they can see that the kids don't know.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what what I think. I mean, I think you need to stay somewhat on schedule, and but every but but there's a I mean if there's just nothing better, in my mind, than or in a classroom where I'm hearing pencils just, and I don't hear anything else but pencils flying across the page or your typewriter typing, but not not playing on games, but you can tell when they're typing versus playing on games but but mainly pencils you know when they're they're flying across their notebook and they and they get in a zone and when the whole class gets in a zone like that I will let it go I will let it go because that is the sweet spot that I mean that doesn't happen that's magic and they all finally got their ideas they've all figured it out and they are moving I'm walking around you know I'm maybe writing during this time, but looking up and watching them um but I am not gonna interrupt that um uh, at least for another ten minutes. You know now, if I have to get something done because I have to get it done, then yeah, I mean I might stop it, but i'll I'll say, find a stopping point, but I mean every once in a while you get that magical moment, and they're they're all like looking at their books and they're all engaged in their books and they're flipping their pages at the right time, and their eyes are going across the page in the right way and I mean, and it's quiet and it's peaceful. I just don't know if I'm going to interrupt that. So there are, I'll let it go a little bit longer because, gosh, I mean, what are we here for? To teach them to read and write. They're finally doing it. Why would I want to stop them? So that's kind of some things. Now There are times you have to stop them because you have to, you know, but but i try to give them ample time. So I might, at the beginning, they're not used to that. So maybe at the beginning, I might give them, maybe two minutes, and then I'll move that to three minutes, or I'll do, do five, ten-minute moments. Like, the next day, I might do uh, several words, trigger words, and then I'll go, okay, and I'll put words up there, and then they have to write. Or I'll put, you know, uh, sentence starters, and then they have to write for a few minutes, and then they stop, write a few minutes, and they stop. So, I do switch it up, but on those days where they free write, and they can, all of a sudden, they just are getting into it, I kind of just let them keep going. Cause that's really kind of neat to, I just think that's the best moment when they're just, and you can just see her, you can hear the pencils hitting the page, you know, it's really cool.
1: You know, in, in terms of getting kids into their writing, you know, we'll probably like the way I kind of approach the draft book is, you know, I love talking about what writers do. Um, mm-hmm. by the way, Reggie Routman, when I was talking to her about Rightfully empowered she was she was talking about how I use the term real writers and she was like what's it what's a non real writer aren't all writers real writers and I was like that's such a good point so like I know I've said that term a million times before so I, I'm, I'm trying to wean myself off of that. What I mean by that by the way was totally the like people that actually like write not not people that just teach writing but actual writers is what I mean by that term but in terms of that oh
0: real writers not the yeah. teachers who teach yeah. writing no not the just real the teachers
1: ones. you know what I mean yeah but okay. the <laughs> <laughs> so writers I love talking about you know what what does writing look like is mm-hmm. I in, you know in 6th grade I would often go you know what do writers write all 100% of the time? And a lot of the kids will be like, yes, because they've been trained. You know, don't put down your pencil. You must write for the entire 15 minutes. And sometimes those activities are fun. But in general, what I want my writing workshop to be is a place where students write when they have the desire to write. And my job is to create the situation where that desire can happen at any point um, and give them the freedom to do that, but also give them the freedom to stop. I don't know if people like – if you've ever written, you don't just vomit out words constantly. Unless you're working on a deadline uh, and you have like a paper to be turning or something like that, mo- like most writers will pause and they'll daydream and they'll listen to music and they'll check their email and they'll do all those things. And that doesn't mean that kids need an endless array of uh Con- not non consequences for their distractions but it's 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 the writing process to talk a little bit and to think and to conference and when you build in to this workshop and you talk about this the writing process and you talk about the fact that writers just don't consistently write and some days you don't have anything to write some days you're not inspired some days you're feeling down some days the word all the words you write feel like they're horrible when you give them that freedom i feel like the it goes against conventional wisdom it's like no you can't do that you keep them 100% structured kids are going to get off task no kid is ever going to write when they have all that freedom the thing that i've seen is that when i've been open about it kids write more because they feel less pressure. And I think it's just psychology that the the moment you clamp down, what do kids want to do? They want to rebel because why not? Even kids that like writing, be like meh. but if you don't have those artificial restraints on them, they end up approaching the page in a much more free way. The writing is more authentic. And so in these early days of getting kids used to the draft book and just writing every day, number one, I'm trying to encourage them by showing them cool stuff that makes them think, mm-hmm. um, Leah asked what website I used to grab my poems. Um, I love poetry in the early days. Um, HelloPoetry.com is one of my favorite websites. Not everything is appropriate. Um, Poem Hunter is also another good one. But I like Hello Poetry because it's written by – it's more modern. Like it's written by like pretty much anyone can publish on it. Um, But like this one poem, right? This is – like like this poem is literally the first thing that popped up. It says it's a poem titled Belief in Poetry. Okay? This poem says, I do not believe in God, but I do believe in poetry. And for me, maybe poetry is prayer and the universe is an unwavering ear in the shape of a God. And like, that might not be something I use in my class, but you could see how that would elicit some type of response, right? Uh-huh. And that right there, right? In, in terms of people like Leah who are looking for text. What's something that you think your kids will respond to? Because once they start responding, you can do it on the reading side. Okay, so what does this make you think about? Was there a line in here that stood out to you? Get them to write that. And then when you get to writing time, you'd be like, so let's go back into that idea. Did this give you any ideas to write about? Maybe they write about the poem. Maybe they write about how they connect to the poem. Maybe they write how they disagree with an idea in the poem or how they connect. All of those things are doorways into writing, and the more doorways you give them, the more they're gonna to find topics, they're gonna to find things to go on. And that is the magic of that draft book. If you can get a lot of those experiences in those first five days of school, I mm-hmm. think your writing workshop's off to a good start.
0: Right. And I also feel, and like you're, I like to start with them, you know, because they're gonna write better when they write about what they know most. And so if they can even tie it, like you said, a disagreement is still from them. It's their disagreements, their belief. It's it's their response to the writing or to the reading. And so that's like mine. I, I'm going to start with a, it's not a poem, but it's a picture book. But it's a picture book about a girl teaching somebody how to read. And through that, they were able to read their dreams. So one of the reasons why I like that book is it shows the power of reading, It shows what reading can do for you. And so that would be like a focus. So then it's like, so you could turn around and ask the question, like maybe even on the next day. You know, yesterday we read um, this book about Valentina, and she discovered that reading is powerful. What does reading mean to you? And so now they're giving you a response and now you're opening it up and you can talk about what does reading look like and maybe give them an opportunity to go to your your library and your, maybe not the school library, they might not be ready, but at least your classroom library hopefully is and then they can go pick a book off the shelf and you can talk about what that looks like and then we're going to read and then, but they're not used to it. So what I like to do is build stamina. So I might make all that kind of short and do, you know, but each day I kind of lengthen it. Uh, I like to also start with memories. That's another thing that's really good. Um, And, you know, I like to have them uh, think about their own memories and uh, they list memories. I do a lot of listing. So for Leah, I do a lot of listing. So I have the kids, it's not just here's your writing territories and we move on. I might have them um, think about, like I said, their Christmases, favorite times that they've ever had. Uh, Maybe they're a sad time they might've had. You know, they write, they just look at all the different types of memories. So that's something that I have them do. Uh, Things that they want to learn more about. And then they list all the things they want to learn more about. And then that's something that they could write about. And they always choose one. So I just, whatever I think that the kids, like you said, uh, what you think that they'll respond to. But also another thing that I think is important is what you want to know about your students. And so you can, can, at the first few days, you can word questions and have brainstorming moments in ways where, you know, I want to know if they've if they've read, I want to know if they like to write. And so I might do some things that will get them to start thinking about themselves as writers and themselves as readers. And then they respond to me about that. I talk to them about me as a reader. And I think that's how I get into the, you know, into what it looks like, what you were talking about earlier, but then, um, but whatever I want to know about them, I don't, I'm not one to do surveys. I think they get tired of those. We, with it, with the, the day of, um, google forms they get a lot of surveys so i i kind of like i might even create a little drawing project where they draw they give me like a mind map of themselves as a reader as a writer Um, i might do some things like that um just kind of fun stuff at the beginning, just whatever I want to learn about them. But I do it in a way where they're responding to a reading or they're responding to maybe a question I have or a quote, like you said, do you agree? Or with a poem. So I just kind of change it up. And I, I'm like you. I don't really always know what I did. So what I like to do, I can tell you what I did in 1993. <laughs> of course you can. Of course I can. <laughs> I'll tell you why I can. Because I created a dialectical notebook. So what I do is I write down what I did on that first day and then on the on one side and then on the other side I write down how it went and I try to map my first few you know, especially when I'm starting something new. I don't always do that. And I've done it so much now that I don't always do that. But if I'm doing something new and I want to know how it went and I want to go back and reflect, I use my dialectical notebook. So I have one in 1993. And I started that year with trigger words again. So I think it must have been successful because that's what I wrote on there. But I gave them three trigger words then. And one was marshmallow. <laughs> so, I
1: don't know. so So anyway... Can you indulge me for a second? Sure, I guess. All right, so you said something that I find Uh-oh. interesting cuz I don't know, I don't think we've ever dis I mean, we might have discussed this, but I feel like this isn't something we've discussed in recent memory, which is interesting to see how you how closely aligned our thinking is. So you were talking about the get to know you stuff and how, you know, people do oh, yeah. surveys, people like you know, just imagine any school day where they do a get to know you activity, right? I have a section in Rightfully Empowered, my next book, where I specifically say this. Can I read these like three paragraphs? Oh, thing? are because, you
0: kidding me? Okay, go ahead.
1: So this is this is what I said. I said, and this is this is early in the book. This is talking about how writers need security, and what I mean by that is right. not just security and. Right, the class, but just security in their ability to like actually be able to write about things that they care about. So this is what I said. I said, we often ask young writers to write for others in class. As early as the very first day, we create get to know you activities where students write about themselves, their lives, and their experiences, all with sharing as the end goal. Writers n- need get to know yourself activities before What? Writers need get-to-know-yourself activities before we have them write so others can know about them. Having writers participate and get to know you might be standard fare, but it's these types of activities that begin building walls around young young minds. Uh They learn early on that writing is a place to hide, not expose. They learn that writing is designed for others to judge, not for us to examine the world they live in. They learn... That if they say the right thing rather than the true thing, they will be praised for it. So that was my take on these types of get to know you activities, which is this, the the, the get to know you, you, you know, it it's the, it's, it's, you understand where it comes from, right? We want to know kids. We want to do that. But there's, I think there's a way to do it in writing that empowers them in their own worldview rather than puts this pressure on them, right? Oh my God. I don't you know, I don't want to say anything embarrassing. I don't want to do this. So I think there's there's just specific things like that that I think it's it's good to keep in mind, specifically with writing, because if our goal is to get them into authentic writing as much and as quickly as possible, then crafting get to know you's in a way that is high pressure, which I would argue is picking personal things to share out. Um Immediately on the first day, or anything like that, there are. I think that is that's just some of the stuff that we can avoid. And I think that even just letting them have a draft book where they could write about that, and then just you conferring with them privately, that's an easy way to turn that activity into something that's far less pressure Mm -hmm. oriented to where kids don't feel so much pressure because they'll. And even they might not share too much if they even know you're reading it. Um, it's still a, a different door, but that's that's something I've always been. I, I just love kind of examining that process because you know I don't. My whole goal in the writing workshop is to show them that they can really talk about any of this stuff. But immediately saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna all share everything that you just said about yourselves," I feel like sometimes oh, that no. can, it can be counterintuitive.
0: Yeah, no. I usually, when I do that, it's more of an invitation. Would somebody want to share? I always start with an invitation. I think I think it's important that they know that they've been invited, but they don't have to. Um, when they're being made, uh, sometimes that's so. So when I do start the sharing, that's usually where it's more the mandatory sharing because I do I do provide that, but that usually shows up um, probably the end of the second week. Because by then, they've written about five or six different pieces. So what they do then is they look at their pieces and they determine which one they want to share. You kind of give them a heads up. Hey, look, we're going to share one of these. Which one do you want to do it? And we're only sharing with a small, small group. We're not going to share with the whole class. Oh, we're not sharing with the whole class? No. Okay. Then I can do that. You know, of course, you have your one or two. Like I even had some IEPs, um, you know, instructional, uh, individual instructional plans that said they could not share. So, you know, you have to make your adjustments that way, but for the most part, even those kids decided it was okay to share if it was just not the whole class. So that's usually yeah. how I kind of, I ease them into the sharing.
1: Well, and that's the point that I make right there, right? This whole, mm-hmm. you know, we have get to know your activities where they're supposed to share about their, their themselves, their lives, their experiences, as the end goal. But what they need first is a get to know yourself, right? It's like, that's exactly right. It's, it's the self-examination first. And I think that we take a lot of that for granted, but you know, it's different to write about yourself than, you know, cause there's go-tos, right? Like when people ask, you know, Oh, tell me a little about yourself. You kind of have like go-tos that you hit on. And in classes there's like go-tos, but you know, if you're, I don't know. I think all kids have, every, every person has baggage. And I think that kids are, especially middle school kids, I think they're intimately in tune with the, the social baggage that they have. Um, and they're, you know, they're aware of the things that they handle and, the. Uh, sometimes trauma, but even just the things that are just uncomfortable about themselves. And that's what they think about when they think about themselves a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to be mindful of that and give them a space to be able to maybe not talk about that directly on day one or in the first Mm -hmm. week even, but start laying the groundwork for this is a place where your words, your actual lived experience matters. And this goes back to our differentiation conversation, which is, it's, it's no longer, hey, tell me your favorite color, your favorite song, and this, right? In this very kind oh, of yeah. stock, uh, quote-unquote, writing activity. Tell me it's, about your summer. Yeah, right? So tell me about your summer. What'd you do? Maybe they don't want to tell you about their summer because their summer sucks. Maybe their summer right? sucks. Yeah, they're like, just
0: glad to be back at school because now they get three meals or exactly. I mean, uh, at least one meal. Exactly
1: and here's the thing, we're not sitting here saying that every kid has had or having bad things happen over summer. What we're saying is we want to set up the workshop to be as open and inclusive as possible. That way we catch them all, right? Because there might be a kid that did something amazing over summer and they want to write about it. Sweet, go for it, dude. Live your best life. Tell me what you did over summer when you went to Kentucky or whatever. But this other kid that maybe wants to address something different or maybe they want to write about it in a different way, those, that's what you Want the the moment you put blinders on something just for the sake of a writing task, um, even as something as benign as tell me about yourself, that can start putting up walls around your writers that you're going to have to work to take down later. Um, and I think that's something that gets overlooked because. Who I mean, every teacher, we we've done these first day oh yeah tasks before. This is why we're being able to talk about it. But it's it's as I started moving into workshop, I realized that those things just didn't they they were working against me. As small as they might seem, they really were working against the workshop in a workshop where my goal is to empower student voice, and that's I don't know I I, I feel like I'm berating the point at this point, but it's I think that's something that is really reflective and that we should all process every year is okay so what walls that i unintentionally put up and how do i get rid of those without compromising uh the rigor and the academics of the classroom. Mhm.
0: Well, and one of the things when you you mentioned something you said i want them to know themselves. And so so when i say you as a writer i'm i'm more like um we do this activity. Um, I, it's not my activity. Um, I learned it through one of my trainings with Abydos. but uh, and it was it's a uh, timeline, and it's your historical timeline as a writer or as a reader. And then they go back and they and I model for them everything you do. You have to model because if you don't model it, then they're gonna that they're already lost. So you want to model it. And so I would get like a sentence strip or. Um, uh, cash register paper or just regular paper that they, you know, they cut in half. But anyway, they put a timeline on there, or they can make it a road. They can do whatever they want. And then what they do is it's their journey as a writer. So I go back and I start out with, well, when I first started writing, I remember my mom sitting at the dining room table, and we had this big chief... Tablet with this big old honking pencil, and my mother was teaching me how to write my alphabet. And then I was learning how to write cat and you know, those simple things. That was my first experience as a writer. And then I would go later on, though, I was asked to do you know, something else, and then you know, and then I go on. And then I said, You know, when I was a junior in high school, I had to write this big, huge essay. Uh, they called it a junior theme, and he said my content was good, but he gave me a C because I didn't know how to type. And the kids go, You got a C? You know, I always tell them my failures too. And so, with me sharing my failures, right, and then my successes as well, that's my history as a writer. I had some setbacks. I still have setbacks, you know, but, and, and so do you. So just, Just look at yourself as a writer, and let's do that. I do the same thing with reading, and the reading is more of a, so how many books did you read? So they go back. What are your five favorite books? Well, I don't read any books, Miss. Well, then just list the ones you you read last year. If you just read poems, and write, you know, read the poems. Because I think in your class, that's all y'all do, write our poems. Y'all don't read any other books, right?
1: That's it. Only poetry.
0: Only poems. So I would say, you know, I know you had Mr. Chastain last year. So just write the five poems that you like, because I know that's all y'all do. No, I'm not kidding. I wouldn't have said that. But the whole point is, is and so I'll tell them, you know what my favorite one is? Uh, e, uh, Mr. Eastman. uh, Are You My Mother? That's my favorite book. So that's one of those Petey Eastman way back. Have you seen, do you know that one, Are You My Mother? No, no. Oh my goodness, it's such a good little, it's a little bird looking for his mama, and he he goes to this dog and goes, are you my mother? Because the bird goes off, the mother bird had gone off to get him some food, and he jumps out of the nest, and he's looking for his mother, and what's funny is there's this big, huge machinery, and he goes, are you my mother? And it goes, snort, like that, and I just thought that was the best thing when I was younger, so I put that down as one of my favorite books. So that way, and I do that because I want the kids to know, it's okay if they they put down a Dr. Seuss book or whatever. I want to know their history. I want them to figure out their history. I want them to come to me and know that they are already a reader. They are already a writer. And if I can do that, that's already a confidence builder. Because the more confidence they have, the um, the more... I'll be able to push them even more in that confidence.
1: Well, and so here's a fun way to, and this is something that, this would be something that I would debate on doing, but it's still something that I think is valid in this conversation where you can set something like this up and start this, the, this is quality pre-assessment as far as I'm concerned. So you can okay. pre-assess. So let's say someone has, they need to teach narrative writing. It's very common at the beginning of the year. So have personal narratives or whatever kind of in the curriculum. One of the things, if I knew that and wanted to work in some of the curriculum and the, the scope and sequence into the kind of this early phase is having them tell a, a narrative about themselves uh, as a reader, Tell me about your life, and better yet, if you you know, let's say you don't see yourself as a reader, make it funny. Like, tell me about all the ways that you hate reading. Tell me about, you know what I mean. And but but encourage them in that personal narrative way. So, and I would model this. Right, we would talk about, okay, what's a personal narrative? Blah 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 blah. Go through that whole process with them during the mini lesson. Then while they're writing or kind of drafting this idea down, that would be me assessing. Okay, so what are they using? Are they using paragraphs? Right. Are they, are they, uh, how's their punctuation going? Are there kids that are, have really strong voice? Or is it heavy on dialogue? Does it have structure? Does it have any, any of those pieces that we're looking for? And that would be me just preliminary, okay. right? Nothing pressure, no grade attached, but just reading these pieces, just quickly scanning going, okay, oh, okay. So I see that like, we're not. We're not using paragraphs, so maybe that's that's a quick mini lesson that I can work in in those first days, right? What what is a paragraph? Why do we even do that? And kind of diving into those things, and that's what on the teachery side, right? We spent the majority of this kind of talking about just the 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 side of being the catalyst, setting up the right situation. But I think during all of that. And something we need to keep in mind is as your kids are thinking, as they're writing, as they're generating ideas, as they're reading and starting, you know, go to the library, get their books, as they're independent reading. As a teacher, you're the gatherer, right? You're the – teachers are the best kid watchers in the world, right? And you have to learn to gather that data and and jot it down because even though – Every district wants that, that number data. For English teachers and workshop teachers, the data is also good with, you know, how long can they write? What types of things are they choosing to writing? Like in sixth grade, the one thing I always saw, a lot of kids wrote narratives and kind of and these one-page personal narratives that they were taught in fourth grade. So that's what they always write. So I mm-hmm. you know, get a lot of those. Um, what, what's their view on things? How to do Are they excited to write? Are they not excited to write? Are they jumping to the page? Are they grabbing books? Like all of that, that's good information because it judges where you are and that changes. This is why the idea of a scripted curriculum just makes me want to vomit because if you have, let's say. Uh, your curriculum is designed to kind of guide your kids through a series of processes in reading and writing, but you have a group of kids that's killing it. They love reading. They love writing their teachers before them, fired them up and got them engaged and they're coming to you already primed. You get to, you can skip past that and go straight to the meat of stuff. But you, if you're dying on this hill of, well, I had this planned, I had this piece chosen. I wanted to do this to kind of guide them, you know, being able to alter like your like dreams thing, for instance, that could be something that maybe once you start seeing your kids, you're like, oh, we can go even deeper into this, right? You can skip mm-hmm. past kind of the, the more introduction of it and really go deep on that. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you wanted right. to go a little it's deeper like, and you're like, all right. all right, you know what? We're going to hang out in the shallow just for a we're minute. Just, <laughs> we're just
0: only doing dreams about last night, you know, Mr. But Sandman kind of that's thing. That's that,
1: so. that's that, uh, that's that pre-assessment that I think is so mm-hmm. valuable. And I, uh, you know. When, when people are planning, right, if Leah's listening to this, when she's looking at her stuff, I think thinking about what kids need, what, what does she think is going to engage them in their reading and writing it, it, in, as, as soon as possible? What does she want to see in her workshop? Make sure to add those. Maybe she wants her workshop to look a little different than ours. She just needs to pre-plan what that looks like in her head so she can implement those changes right. in there beforehand. And then... Think about what does she want kids to be doing? What is the workshop? What should it look like? And then how is she going to know more about her students by the end of the week? And I think that, I think if you go in with those four ideas and those plans, I mean, I I don't see how you cannot be off to a good start with your workshop.
0: Well, you mentioned, I agree with you. I want to say one more thing, if that's okay. And that's when you're talking about looking and they didn't do this, they didn't do that in their writing. If you go ahead and, and sort those out then you've already got your study groups. You've already got your targeted groups. So when you're going through those pages, if you just automatically put them at a medium-high-low or a no-paragraph indention, you know, perfection, you can do that. Then you can quickly see what those issues are. So if you group them together and then you can write notes on that group, then you'll know. Then Then the next time y'all are that you have your students writing and working then you can either call them up i don't really like doing that that's not my style i more or less like to put them in what i would call flexible well i don't call it that i've learned about it but flexible grouping so if i already have them then i can say okay i need all my my r's to come over here they don't have to know what that is i could have my my class set up with r-a-m-s see so that's rams right and my r's are my high you know so i could already set them up that way and i think that's a kagan type strategy but then i can say okay all these kids i need they're all r's turned out that those are my r's so i need all my r's over here i need my a's over here and then i flexibly group them then i go to each table And I can, I can deal with them on some days. I could do it that way if I wanted to. So I just want to throw that in there as a thought that happened.
1: And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Craft and Draft podcast. Hopefully this is getting your wheels going. I know already, I mean, we're it's literally May 29th on the day we're recording this and I'm already like, alright, let's go. Let's go August. I'm ready to go. We got the plans in here. We're thinking. But hopefully your, your gears are turning. If you're listening to a podcast in the summertime, then you're dorks like us and want to just keep teaching and keep thinking about teaching and keep planning no matter what. But, you know what? Get some rest, relax a little bit because even though we're thinking about teaching, summer's Great. Relax a little bit. Enjoy your time, especially if you are still there's some people still teaching out there, Miss Ocho. I don't know if you know this, but there's people that got like 20 days left, 10 days left, five days left. I mean, it is it is hard out there for some of you guys. So if that's you, stay sane, keep it rolling. But come back for craft and draft again next. Friday, and we're going to continue this session. We're going to talk about more model text, maybe some other questions. If you have a question you want to derail the next episode, feel free. You can submit it at whatever I call that section of the website at craftandrapworkshop.com. You can always send me a DM as well. But go to the website if you want to put it there. It would be wonderful. You can find all of our other podcasts there as well. You can hit subscribe in your podcast app if you want to get this podcast every single Friday. Those numbers really do help. Leave a review. Leave a rating. Share it with your team. Whatever else you want to do to show the love and support of Craft and Draft, we support you. You can find us over there on the Facebook page as well. But for everything else, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here for you.